With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Community's Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 517. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my standard co-host, Matt Lunguth. Matt, today is Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. Uh, we are on YouTube. If you want to watch us and see what we all look like, you can go to youtube.com slash vbarbecue, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, and uh, give us a like and a follow and see what we look like. So, Matt, how's it going? Eric, it's going well. It's another hot and sunny day in central Pennsylvania with a chance of some thunderstorms here later this afternoon. And I'm pumped. It's all things EUC today, so a topic near and dear to my heart. But before we get into that, how are you, sir? How's the weather? And what's the color of the bay? All right. Well, uh, I am doing well. It is now July. We had a great July 4th barbecue. We did a chili cook-off with a bunch of our family. So everybody got to go cook some chili over the July 4th weekend. It is beautiful, sunny. The color of the bay is definitely a nice blue green with a light chop so we got a, we've been breezy here in california for for this month so far a lot of a lot of cool breeze but it's been warm nice in the 80s so can't can't complain about the weather it's been it's been beautiful so on the show today as as you say matt we're going to be talking uh to uh gabe knuth he is a senior line marketing manager for uh the horizon cloud product sets and uh, gabe is with us today so it should be a fun show to talk about what's happening with uh euc horizon maybe what's happening with uh, covid19 and what i tend to like to call the new normal for computing right because i'm not sure we're ever going to go back to an office or at least not this year so uh gabe welcome to the show we'll get to you in a second uh just to do some house housekeeping here uh sorry about that that was uh that was computer error. We will check that out. All right, so let's get to news. Uh, just some housekeeping. VMworld registration has been open now. Uh, we have quite a large number of people that have been um, registering so far. So thanks to everybody that's registered. I think we have more registrations uh, happen so far. Given that it's free, you can go register right now. So if you're listening to, if you haven't registered, go register. But also because it's free, let other people know in our ecosystem. So in general terms, we get about 40,000 people that come to VMworld every year. And this year, I think we are going to try to look at the last five years and how many people have actually come. Uh, because it's free, we should be able to get everybody to come uh, be part of the experience. Pat's gonna do keynotes, Sanjay Poonin's gonna do keynotes going to be live streamed keynotes that will be live streamed and then all the sessions I'm hearing like 500 plus sessions going to be uh, be recorded and uh, some of them are live some of them uh, are zoom some of them are just streaming anytime so 
encourage yourself, encourage your workmates, encourage your friends, go register, be a part of it because it should be a really cool event and everybody can participate, participate this year. Uh, the format, three showings uh, where the live things are going to be happening three times, one in Europe, one in Americas and one in Asia Pacific. Uh, so APJ. So understand that. V brown bag sessions, community sessions. Uh, we have, I think, 20 different community sessions happening over those two day periods. Some of them are going to be live. Some of them are going to be recorded. Some of them are going to be coding sessions. Uh, we are running a VMware code event, so stay tuned. I know that Crypto is going to be announcing the VMware code event where there will actually be uh, hour and a half long coding sessions by some of the code coaches and other people where they'll be working on code live with you, answering your questions and building some kind of cool code activities. I think we have uh, PowerShell. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I think Kyle Ruddy is going to be there. Uh, some of the some of the other more famous uh, VMware code personalities will be running uh, sessions and live coding sessions. So stay tuned for that. We will be announcing that in the upcoming week or so, and it will be tied in with VMworld, uh, you know, during that same time frame. So. That's what's happening. So, and then finally, content calendar opens 0614. That's next Tuesday. Uh, next Tuesday, it will open because all the sessions don't automatically fill up. Uh, you can go in and register and get your sessions. They scale infinitely, so you can uh, actually, you know, go register on the 14th. But it's no longer, oh my gosh, if it opens in Europe at, you know, Greenwich Mean Time exactly at uh, 8, 8, 8 a.m. that you need to be there in order to get your sessions because this year all the sessions are just going to be available to everyone and they scale out infinitely. At least that's what I'm told. I believe the paid program, some of the birds of a feather sessions and some of the uh, other paid experiences, those ones will be capped. And depending on the experience, they could have 30, 40, 50 people. So understand that if you're going to be buying a paid experience, which I think is $299, uh, you might want to get in and register for the things that you're interested in. So content calendar opens uh, next week, Tuesday, a week from today. So that's, that's it for public service announcements. I know Corey Romero is on vacation this week. I know he's doing VExpert stuff and uh, I think apps closed. So I think they're processing the voting and uh, I think they're going to be in apps closed soon. and uh, applications are under review. I would think that we would have announcements here within a week or two for the second half of 2020 for those VExpert applications. Excellent. And I know that we are going to do a VExpert party. So we are going to go the auxiliary virtual events team for the VMworld, and we will be doing a, some kind of VExpert party. Uh, and we are looking at, uh, you know, what the VExpert, uh, you know, gift is going to be this year, how we're going to do that. Don't know yet, but uh, stay tuned for that one. Stay tuned for the VExpert party. And I believe that's it for general announcements. Anybody in the community have any other announcements they think they need to share with us? Going once. All right, looking at all the chat windows, making sure that uh, no one has anything. Everybody says no, no, no announcements. So we're good to go. Okay, with that, I am not on YouTube yet, so I, I have not been able to see the YouTube chat questions. So, Julia, if you want to re relay those to me, that would be great. With that, we will get to our guest uh, who has been patiently waiting. So, Gabe, Gabe Knuth, uh, you are, you know, Definitely on call, waiting to hear from you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about 
what you do, how long have you worked at VMware, what you do in the ecosystem, and give us an arc of your career. It's always cool to hear about uh, community people. What have you been doing in your career to get you here? Yeah, sure, no problem. So yeah, uh, really great to be here. My name's Gabe Knuth. Uh, I have been at VMware since July of last year. I joined right in the middle of VMworld craziness planning. And so I attended VMworld, but I didn't really have any any job there. And I wasn't involved with the content planning. So this is my first foray into that. Um, and you know, I didn't quite get the full experience, I don't think, <laughs> right, <laughs> with, right. uh, what with the, the, the conference going digital. Um, my job uh, here is as the, I, I do product marketing. Specifically, I focus on Horizon Cloud uh, and really all things that deal with Horizon and Azure. And, um, but I also deal with Horizon Cloud and IBM and, and things like that too. Um, prior to this, uh, and really through most of my, my, my EUC career dates back to the late 90s. And, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to work with my best friend, Brian Madden, throughout that entire career. He and I met back in Cleveland uh, as a, at a VAR back in the 90s. And we learned uh, desktop virtualization together. Uh, at this bar that we were working at, then we kind of split up for a little while. Like he moved to DC, I moved to Omaha. Um, and then eventually uh, we kind of started working together again at his blog, brianmadden.com. There we started a conference called Bri Forum, stayed uh, doing a little bit of consulting and training, but mostly blogging and speaking and kind of analyst work for, uh, at the time, just desktop virtualization. And over time, of course, that grew into um, mobility and everything that makes up EUC today. Um, after a while, I worked there for about 11 years. And I, it, at one point in time, I sat down and wrote an article and realized that I'd written the article before. <laughs> and and then I decided that was the day to like, all right, I need to try something new. So I start. I got into product marketing, worked for FS Logics, was acquired into Microsoft and kind of worked in the Windows Virtual Desktop team. And uh, after a little while there, I decided to make the move over to VMware because look at all the crazy cool EUC stuff we have going on. And congratulations has to be said to Sean Bass for playing the ultimate long poker hand and bringing the band back together finally. Have, have you, you want to expand on that a little bit, Gabe? I, I, I think that to. should be noted. I get goosebumps every time I think of this. This is crazy. So, okay, so, <laughs> so uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, Sean hired Brian Madden. And Brian had been on like a sabbatical for a while. He'd taken a couple of years off. And I'd tried to convince Brian, even when I before I worked here, that what VMware was doing was really cool. And uh, and as I'm telling Brian, he, Brian literally said to me, I'm so bored right now, I could cry. Like with me explaining to him what Workspace One is and what the vision is and stuff. And But then he went and talked to Sean. And Sean, what with him actually working for VMware, was able to like convince Brian that this is actually some pretty cool stuff. Brian he comes from a SCCM background. And so he was like, man, I, I got to go through all that again. But really once, once he saw what was going on on the inside, that's, that, that's what brought Brian on. So, uh, so Sean was able to get Brian to join VMware. Sean got Andy Morgan to join VMware. Um, I, I ended up joining VMware. And then recently we got Jack Madden, who was also covering end user computing for brianmadden.com. Um, incidentally, so Jack and Brian are brothers. Brian and I, we were working on the desktop virtualization angle. And when mobile device management became a thing, both Brian and I were like, ah, we'll just hire Jack and let him take care of that, that little corner of, you know, EUC. 
And then Jack, of course, grabbed it and ran with it. And the whole you know, MDM, mobility, unified endpoint management world kind of blew up. And so Jack was at the ground floor and the forefront of that world. Um, and so Jack also just made a move from BrianMadden.com, the website, to, uh, to VMware. And now we just hired Ron Oglesby uh, a month or two ago. It's insane, the number of people here. I, if, I, I think I wrote this on Twitter. If you had told me back at like a Citrix iForm in 1999 that I would be working with Ron Oglesby, I would have spit out the beer that Ron had to buy for me because I was too young. Um, right. <laughs> so, um, so it's very, it's, it's, it's really, really cool to be surrounded by these people every week. Um, it's yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. It's I'll, truly I'll, a, a power team, a real powerhouse. Um, again, congratulations to, to Sean and everyone else on the team. It's, uh, I think that within the EEC community, it's an absolute powerhouse of, of industry veterans, obviously Ron being around since the vSphere three days when, when I think he co-wrote the book with uh, Scott Lowe. And just a, a, a senior industry veteran that's that's been around in so many different capacities, and for him to join a team, I think it's just fantastic. That VI three book is one of the books that my laptop is propped up on right now to make my camera be at my face level. <laughs> Very cool. All right, so that's your history. You've been around a long time and in the desktop space a long time. That's Keep great. Getting older. So what happens? So let's talk about what's happening right now with, uh, you know, I hear a lot of like Dell sold out all their inventory because everybody needs to work from home, right? Because of COVID-19 and this whole, sh you know, shift that uh, is happening to work from home. Then I hear Pat Gelsinger go like, yeah, we're not sure we're ever coming back. Maybe 60% of our workforce will just continue to work from home. Uh, being closer to the space, can you, can you give us some, shed some light into how this is playing out? What's the typical engagement that's starting to happen now that people are people are buying Dells or buying laptops? They're provisioning them. How does VMware play in this space? Well, from from an EUC perspective, and specifically from a Horizon perspective, um, the multi-cloud hybrid cloud architecture that VMware has been working on for for a while now is starting to become it has matured at the exact right point in time because now customers actually are thinking about running workloads in multiple locations. And in a lot of ways, it's based on necessity. So as you mentioned, you know, supply chains kind of dried up. Um, I mean, it was, they were just disrupted, not dried up. Stuff is still being produced. Stuff sure. just couldn't get here in time for us to react to COVID. And, you know, I try not to specify that, but really that's the main thing that's affecting the world right now. We're all trying to figure out a way to keep our users working from home. And so organizations that have been doing desktop virtualization for years still only had enough capacity on premises to support the workloads that they were using in November, not necessarily the workloads that were being demanded upon them in March and April and, and right. even today. And so companies had to react to that. And so there's lots of different approaches that folks have used kind of in phase one in the reactionary phase. Some of that was maybe maybe they did get the last of the servers and they could just expand their on-premises capacity. In other situations, customers were doing um, like a remote connect to their physical desktop. And you could do that with VMware Horizon. Other companies, I had two neighbors on my street that both of them uh, work for different companies, but their solution, at least short term, was to buy more VPN client connections and 
then have customer or have their employees remote from home to the office and RDP directly to their physical desktop, which while it works in a reactionary way, it's not the most sustainable solution, um, especially when you also factor in internet connections and, and things like that. And, and we can get into this later, the endpoints in both situations, these families didn't really have desktop computers or laptop computers at home anymore. They were iPads and Chromebooks and stuff, but they needed uh, to have a Windows computer for their VPN reasons. And so both of them pulled out old laptops. One of them was Windows Vista and one of them was Windows 7, both of which had hit end of life by then. And sure. so that adds a whole other layer of complexity to this too, or like what kind of endpoints are end users using? How can we trust them? And, and so on. So while, uh, while all this is happening, other companies chose to react by taking advantage of cloud resources, which as we learned, also have a limit. <laughs> um, and so there's, uh, you know, there were, there were reports I, that I read from around of certain, you know, data centers in certain locations for different providers. It was, it's a, it's a uniform problem you know, starting to hit kind of capacity numbers because guess what? The supply chains for the cloud data centers are the same as the supply chains for, you know, all the other server vendors too. Um, so what we had is, you know, we, we, we've got a number of different locations that have availability. There, there was no shortage of areas, but we actually ended up with customers that have a smattering of on-prem desktop virtualization resources and some in Azure, some had some, you know, on-prem and in AWS. Others have multi-cloud desktop virtualization uh, requirements where now they've got to support, maybe it's Google Cloud Platform and Azure. I don't actually, I can't think of a specific example of one right now, but where, where we've got Horizon workloads all over the place. Um, and fortunately, VMware is actually able to manage those environments across the board. Um, I'll stop there because I can talk about this forever. Do you have a direction you want to go with this? Because I'm, yeah. I'll go down that path, Dave. So when we talk about, just for, for points of clarity, so for Horizon on Azure, mm -hmm. are we buying a platform where we're extending out our existing on-premises Horizon infrastructure? Or are we buying these as a DAS service? Or is it a combination of both? So am I buying additional resources that I'm using and consuming for my existing platform, or am I buying this as a per desktop instance? What, what are my options there for someone that's considering now expanding what is a traditional on-premise Horizon deployment? So we call Horizon Cloud on Microsoft Azure a DAS platform because VMware manages the desktop virtualization infrastructure. And so you buy the Horizon licenses from VMware and then you pay Azure for the compute. But as, 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 as the IT department of a company that uses Horizon Cloud on Azure, you only manage the desktops and applications themselves. So I would call this a little bit of a blend. Um, the way this works is via this Horizon Universal license, which is a license that entitles you to, or a subscription license, I should clarify, that entitles you to run, a customer to run Horizon in any location. So that can be on-premises, it can be in Azure, it can be in AWS, uh, Google Cloud, uh, IBM, like there's all the different places where Horizon can run, the Universal license will allow you to run it. And there that are, universal license, is that the equivalent of an enterprise license for an on-premises deployment? Do I, do I get all of the kit and caboodle as far as UEM and whatnot, or is there a comparable license structure? 
if you I, so I don't know the intricate details of like the VMware enterprise agreements and so on, but from the context of the Horizon Universal license, it includes Horizon Dynamic Environment Manager, which is the new name for UEM. It includes app volumes. It includes cloud monitoring service, um, and really, there's 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 features that are being built into what's what we're calling the Horizon Control Plane or Horizon Universal Control Plane. Um, and those features live in a cloud-based control plane that VMware manages that provide the common set of services regardless of where Horizon is actually running or where the workloads are being delivered from. And those are those are being built out as we speak. And so if I if we if we talk about say app volumes, app volumes right now is available via that license and can be managed from the cloud control plane, um, cloud-based control plane but it only exists for Horizon 7 as of this moment today. Uh, it'll be out for Azure very soon. Um, but you know, right now, it's the development efforts were to make it work for Horizon 7. Now it'll work for Horizon Cloud soon uh, on Azure. And there's similar functionality or similar, what I want to say, like similar differences with some of the other features as well. Um, others, aren't, uh, others are there across the board. Cloud monitoring service is there across the board. So from the Horizon control plane, I can use cloud monitoring service to give visibility into my Horizon environments, whether they're on-prem or in Horizon Cloud on Azure. Um, Dynamic Environment Manager works in both places. Um, that's, wait, I think it does. It will soon if it doesn't. Um, and that's just it. So we're building out these capabilities across all the platforms. Um, what's notable though is the way that a customer would choose which platform to run on that's uh, a couple of different ways. You could hit it from you could hit it from the angle of uh, which cloud provider is a customer already doing business with. If they're already sure. using Azure, then right, they have an OS three sixty five tenant. They're already on Azure AD. Yeah. Yep. And in that situation, so if we if we stay just with the with the Horizon Cloud on Azure part, um, customers with recent enterprise agreements from Microsoft might be in a, entitled to Windows Virtual Desktop benefits as well. And Windows Virtual Desktop is a platform Microsoft built that uh, is included with certain enterprise agreements like or, off, or uh, Microsoft 365 agreements. So E3, E5, F3, F5, A3, A5. Um, there's a few other ones in there too. Uh, but you know, Microsoft licensing. We better go to them to <laughs> to get the specific details. Um, so Never it's simple, a, always complex. Yeah, right. Um, I, ours is hard enough, so I'm not I'm not making fun. <laughs> um, but so depending upon your your Microsoft Enterprise agreement, you may have access to Windows Virtual Desktop. Most customers these days do. Um, that provides customers access to a new version of Windows 10 called Windows 10 Multi Enterprise Multi Session, and also allows you to still run Windows 7 with extended security updates uh, up until January of 2023. Uh, in addition to that, it also has like lower Azure pricing. Basically, if, you, if you've been in the Azure pricing calculator, you get uh, you can pick between what OS you want to deploy, Windows or Linux. Basically, you get Linux pricing on your Windows uh, desktops if you are entitled to Windows Virtual Desktop. And so VMware and Microsoft partnered to extend those capabilities of Windows Virtual Desktop to Horizon Cloud on Microsoft Azure. And so that means that we can... We get Windows 10 multi-session. We can deliver Windows 7 with extended security updates, and you and customers can take advantage of that favorable pricing. But so that's how you're licensing the OS instance within Azure. 
in the case of a customer entitled to Windows Virtual Desktop, yes. yes. Yeah, it's, it's, the licensing is included in their Microsoft Enterprise Agreement. Um, and then, uh, and then so, so the customer is, it, it's a bring your own license kind of situation. It's just baked in. It's not like you have to go buy the license and then, uh, you know, and then load it into the system. It's just there. Um, so then when, so because we can use the features of Windows Virtual Desktop in Horizon Cloud on Microsoft Azure, which is a separate platform, it's just those capabilities have been extended to our platform. Then we can add in all those other capabilities of VMware Horizon. Uh, Horizon Cloud and the Horizon Control Plane, which we already talked about, the app volumes, dynamic environment manager. Uh, we've got power management, uh, an admin UI across all different Horizon environments, cloud monitoring, blast protocol, all those different things. And so, and we've seen a ton of interest in phase one of this uh, new normal, as, as, as Mike was saying, um, because we have an insurance company that had... 35,000 agents that needed to work from home all of a sudden. And they were, they had no other desktop virtualization. They had no way to do this. Everybody was in individual environments or, you know, in individual offices. And all of a sudden they all had to work from home. And you can't, you have to do this quickly. And you can't acquire, even if you could get the hardware from Dell, you couldn't acquire that hardware, unbox it, um, spin it up and build out that capacity in, in, in a short period of time. And so, but the cloud can. And so we were able to take 35,000 or create 35,000 desktops in five days to help this company keep, you know, business operations going uh, in that initial phase of this, which, you know, was the second half of March. And that, that kind of thing happens with not at that scale. I mean, that, that, that obviously is a huge number of desktops, but that kind of thing happens with other customers too um, at, you know, still in the thousands of desktops range. Uh, because everybody was reacting so fast. And so it was really so cool. So in that particular instance, what did they happen to do for endpoint management? It was... Let's let's take it... I'm sorry. Let's take a, a step back. Mm -hmm. So did they take their existing desktops or laptops and move them home? Was it a BYOD situation? Yeah. Or was it a little bit of both? And with that, would, was endpoint management considered in the solution? So I, I don't know the specifics of what the endpoints were, but I don't think that, I think they relied on what the end users had. Um, I'm not 100% positive. They used Workspace ONE as the interface, but it wasn't for management. And so now that's of course gonna be evaluated, but but from a, from a quick turnaround standpoint, the easiest way to do this was to just go get Workspace ONE installed on all the different endpoints. That way you can support any endpoint and Workspace ONE handles, you know, which clients to get and all that stuff. And so it made the most sense to use Workspace ONE as the interface to the applications that the end users needed. I think that so many in the in this deployment, we talk about, you know, through one way or another, that 2020 being the year of, the, of VDI, I think it's more of the, the year of EUC, that, that so much yeah. of this is now not only figuring into what is VDI, mm -hmm. but then now pushing and making companies and large enterprises being aware of what are modern management tools and where there is more BYOD situations and, okay, well, hey, we, now we have this giant cloud infrastructure to spin up these desktops. How are we going to manage the endpoints? How are we going to get the, the clients deployed? 
What are we going to do to manage the data that's now out on the edge? Yeah, I I'm very happy. That's where the workspace one really starts to play into all of this. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, I'm very happy that, um, I mean, I, it's a weird thing to say, um, but the, we've been talking about the virtues of VDI for 20 years now. I mean, since before VDI was a thing and in a lot of, and it's been a niche solution and, and that's fine. I've made a fine career in the niche solution area of it. Um, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad, I guess happy is the wrong word. Maybe glad is too, but I don't know. I'm reassured that when V when the world needed VDI, VDI was up to the challenge and enabled a lot of people to keep working and a lot of businesses to stay functional. And, and I think that's great. And I'm not speaking, I'm not saying I'm glad Horizon was there. I'm just saying, man, I'm glad this stuff was around um, because I think it was really helpful. But you're absolutely right. So as we, so I'm not saying all companies did this, but I, it's understandable if companies cut corners in phase one as a reaction just to get people or keep people productive. And so that means Vista, Windows Vista laptops, right? That are connected to the VPN and we're just, we're just going with it and we're just gonna see what happens, right? Um, that means maybe oversubscribing on-premises desktop virtualization infrastructure that was built for M plus one redundancy and certain performance. And I had, it in November, I would have said I had 10,000 users worth of capacity, but now I've got 13,000 users worth of, you know, or users crammed onto this thing. And I'm, if a server goes out, I'm kind of up a creek. Um, there's lots of corners have been cut. I, I, I think, you know, kind of around the world to keep this stuff facilitated. So I think all of that is being reassessed now as we are all starting to deal with phase two and kind of planning for an uncertain future. Uh, like um, Eric said, there's no, you know, maybe we'll never go back or some of us might never go back to the office. Um, device management, endpoint management is one of those things, or at least making sure that we have a device that we at least sort of trust <laughs> to be accessing these corporate resources. And so I, I think a lot of that stuff comes into play. Um, obviously, we're not going to add support for Windows Vista um, or Windows 7, right? right. Um, but even if somebody had a you know an old Windows 8.1 laptop, we can start to support those things. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's interesting that I see this transition, and it's the phase two approach, which is is bring your own device become is going will it become the popular way much the way I, I used to get a corporate iphone right you know for a lot of years i had my corporate iphone they just gave it to me and i used it like i go to work they give me a desktop i use it now when you 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 shift from home and 60 percent of vmware's workforce is going to work from home are they going to work in that land i know they've already increased the dollars they're willing to pay for my network now um they're probably willing to give me my device at home but they do they do we just does the industry shift from everybody working on a, uh, a assigned computer to a virtual desktop that I'm using when I'm using my own device? Um, you have to look at why you are virtualizing the desktop or applications to begin with, um, because that's that's got to be a part of it too. And again, there's a difference between long-term planning and short-term just ensuring right. continuous operations of the business. But if you take a longer view of it, you you can see the future as a place where Windows is just the runtime for an application. And so we have Windows in our organization because we've got this legacy app that was built right. 
Right. And, right. you know, we don't have the source code right. for anymore right. or or it can't work outside. Yeah. You know, it, it 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 the only way this app can be used is with a keyboard and a mouse interface and, a win- and, and, and Windows, <laughs> Windows yeah. APIs. It's it's a legacy app. But as you mm-hmm. as we move into cloud native apps and, you know, rebuilding your app infrastructure, that'll play into this right as well. Sure. But there's but it's it. In the past, people have said that, you know, oh, Windows is legacy and Windows is going away, you know, we're in the post PC era and things like that. And if you really start to look at that data, like, yeah, fewer Windows PCs were sold this year than they were last year and the year before, but 300 million Windows PCs were still sold in 2018, Um, which since I've done this math recently, is still more more Windows PCs than were sold in 2005, which is before iPhones were even a thing, right? Right. And so so they're still moving a lot of Windows devices these days. And that's because there's Windows apps. And all that, the Windows apps that have been moved to SaaS or to have been you know, put into the cloud somehow, those, those were the ones that were easy to do. <laughs> um, the ones that are left are the ones Refractoring is expensive. Whew, yeah, no kidding. And that's so, and, and time consuming and fraught with all sorts of different opportunities for problems. And in a lot of ways, it's just not worth it. Um, if it's possible at all. And so if you look at, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the average number of apps is anymore for, of Windows apps in an organization. I still think it's, I bet a third of the orgs don't even know how many apps they have. Um, and, you know, some of them, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I picked a number um, when I was going, thinking about all this stuff. I picked 200 apps. And if you had 200 Windows apps still in your organization and your goal was to migrate them all off to the cloud so you could get rid of Windows entirely, if you could migrate one of those a month, which seems like some insane breakneck pace, yeah, they would still take 17 years. Like it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. it's just, it, it, it's actually interesting because you bring it back to reality. That's a great point. I did that when I worked at Sun Microsystems, where everybody's talking Java, Genie, Juxta. It was all <laughs> JJJ, right? And I actually did a little uh, math on a, a paper and took it to at the time McNeely and others, going like, do you realize that all our revenues coming from Databases, uh, app servers, um, all of that stuff is compiled C and C right? So uh, right. even if, and, and that's not going away. These things require high performance compute capabilities, and if you ignore that market, you're going to be at your own peril. Well, they ignored it, and it did. It was to their peril, right? Because the reality is, if you look at the math and how many things are built compiled mm-hmm. a certain way and you know the number of man years that are involved in that you can think java and genie and all that stuff is going to be happy yay but the math didn't play that out yeah uh <laughs> that's that's a really good example and that's that's kind of the world we're in now so it's on one hand you can think of windows as just old and legacy and and but it, it's not true it's just another runtime it's it's a it's a it's a it's a platform right. that we need to run certain applications just like if we want to do touch-based photo editing applications, we need an iPad or a, you know some touchscreen device or you know right. something like that. This is just a different um, way of delivering the apps. And so, our job as EUC people is to deliver the applications and data to the users in the most appropriate way possible to whatever devices are the most appropriate for them. And in a lot of cases, still delivering Windows applications is in the future. Um, yeah. And so now it depends if that Windows app is appropriate for them. Right. Um, again, if, it's a, if it requires a keyboard and a mouse, then 
perhaps the endpoint is not best suited or you know to be a iPad or a phone or something. The but other then thing, again, if it's expense report approvals, yeah. cool, man, we can do that. We don't need Windows. We don't right. need to publish Concur, right? We can just deploy right. the Concur app via Workspace One, yeah. or even better, create mobile flows uh, so that we can make little point apps for their individual tasks. Yeah, I, I definitely see that the work from home movement has helped Microsoft and Windows. And because a, a typical family might not necessarily need a PC. I know a lot of people were like in this mode of, well, I use my iPad or my iPhone at home. And I never even turn on my PC. But mm -hmm. now the fact that you're not going to work and you do have work apps, uh, everybody all of a sudden goes, well, I need dual display. I, how many people have built a home office in the last four months that have had dual display? All of us, all of us. I, right. I just moved in two weeks ago. Right. Yeah. I moved upstairs to same thing. <laughs> Attic room, took it over, kicked out the old stuff. And yeah, the door still isn't even painted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think there has been this rush and that, you know, gives everybody and that means that I'm working from home. My apps can come down here and run. Uh, yeah, it works that way. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and with I'm sorry. So we talked about multiple displays there for a second. So with um, performance applications, let's say CAD or medical or, or whatnot, Gabe, is there anything that is available within Azure as we uh, speak right now within uh, that Horizon on Azure offering that would offer virtual GPUs? Yeah, real quick before we get to that though, let's. Sure. I, I By all means, the thread for the for the work from home spontaneous users. Now, um, we can the people that don't have laptops or desktops at home anymore. Maybe now they do need them, and. What's really awesome, and I have a, um, I'm looking for it, I don't see it, doesn't matter, you guys know what I'm talking about. I have a Surface uh, Pro, the, the tablet one. Um, and uh, I had that when I worked at Microsoft. I, I, ha I still have it now, and when I joined, I wanted to get this thing set up with, you know, in the VMware system, and so I wiped it. You can factory reset the thing, and then it acts like it's, you just went to Best Buy and bought it. And so I got the full experience of what it would be like now for a company to just say, here's a thousand bucks, Go to Best Buy, go to Walmart, go to Target, whatever, and just buy a laptop. I don't know if you can even still do that at Walmart or Target. Um, and then when you open this thing up, it says log in with your work account. I type in Gabe at VMware.com and it automatically knows that I'm a Workspace ONE user because we've got that integration on the back end of it. And it takes me through the out-of-box experience that, that verifies that this device is secure boot, that it has an uh, up-to-date version of Windows, that it has the right security patches that my company needs. And so I know that at least a basic fundamental level that this device is trusted. And that means that I can you know, start deploying things to that device to help the end user stay productive. It's not like you know, they're using, we, we know it's not some hacked up device that the user just threw together or found on the street or bought from Alibaba or something. Um, and so, so that that I think is really valuable too. Uh, that that uh, that users can be productive without having to involve IT. That IT doesn't have to ingest the device first and then send it out for all thirty thousand of their employees. The comp the, uh, the people can just go out and buy them, and then they have uh, a functional device right away. Now, as it relates to we, what we can't do is we can't expect the people to go out and buy full-on workstations either that have giant GPUs in them and, and all of these things. So to bring it back to what you were talking about, Matt, there's, um, there are uh, 3D um, GPU-based workload capabilities in Azure. Um, there are, I mean, that 
that is a small percentage of the overall use cases that we have. But one of the examples from a um, workforce enablement perspective, it's hard. You can't say business continuity when it's a university, but it's a university that um, needed to send home faculty. So that was more of an office regular type workload. But they also used this as a way to let the engineering students continue working. So this is using MATLAB 3D graphics enabled workloads, and they were able to continue their programming uh, or their, you know, their, their, their educational programming, uh, even when they weren't able to go into, into the, into campus each day. Um, we've had other Horizon Cloud on Azure customers, uh, UTS, University of Technology, Sydney. Um, they, and it was not a response to COVID. This is a, they've been a customer of ours for a few years now, um, but they also are using it for their engineering department. Uh, and making it saves the students from having to go into the into the campus, check out a disk of very expensive software that they have to rush back home, install onto their workstation, then rush the software back to the office because they can't lose this media. Um, that 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 was the scenario. That was the work from home solution prior to deploying Horizon Cloud. And now that they have that, they just can use it wherever they want to use it. And uh, in some ways, they say it's an even better experience because now they have the resources, the cloud associated with it, rather than whatever's in the box under the desk. So, so we've I, talked a, a bunch about Azure, correct? So what other cloud providers are out there? You had mentioned IBM. What, what else is out there right now in general availability to the public that would offer the service of, of major providers? So Horizon Cloud and IBM is a is a platform, but the and it's available via that Horizon Universal license that gets you access to all the platforms. It does it, it's it's notable because it it you can also spin up workloads extremely fast with that. Um, and again, it since it's a Horizon Cloud platform, VMware and IBM take care of excuse me the infrastructure, the virtualization like the hardware, the virtualization and the desktop virtualization infrastructure. The customer only has to worry about managing the desktops and applications. Um, the one thing that's worth noting there is that the Horizon Cloud and IBM Cloud does not participate in that control plane, and so um, it does not. There's not a real hybrid story built around that. But it's still very fast, and we've got a lot of satisfied customers that also supports uh, GPU-based workloads. Um, but we've got, uh, as far as platforms that leverage the Horizon control plane. Uh, on-premises, of course, does. So uh, that, yeah, so Horizon 7 environments on-premises too. Horizon 7 also, same same Horizon 7, but running in VMware Cloud on AWS also can leverage uh, the con Horizon control plane. We just announced, though I don't know if it's actually out where you can spin up desktops on it, but Horizon 7 will also run on the Google Cloud VMware engine. I was just going to go there. I know that that's yeah. just been a recent announcement, but I would probably think that that would be within a product roadmap if it's not there already. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's something that we've talked about. And so it, it you know, I'm free to talk about it here, but it's, so essentially it's, let me back up. VMware Cloud on AWS, which is easy to get confused with Horizon Cloud, but it's, it's separate. VMware Cloud is basically managed vSphere. Um, and so VMware Cloud on AWS is a managed vSphere offering from VMware that runs on native AWS hardware uh, or capacity. Horizon, VMware Horizon runs then on that vSphere as a service, 
essentially. And so you still manage as, as the admin, you, you don't manage the hardware and you don't manage the virtualization components, the software defined data center bits, but you do manage the horizon infrastructure and the desktops and applications. And that same model applies uh, in the Google Cloud VMware engine as well. And Microsoft has a platform called the Azure VMware solution, which um, is it, it's similar in terms of its vSphere on Azure capacity and then Horizon runs on top of that. And those situations, those cloud offerings that leverage vSphere, those are beneficial for companies that don't want to do a migration from their on-prem vSphere uh, infrastructure to some other kind of infrastructure that also involves changing the VMs and changing the way we do networking and all that stuff. Um, in these situations, we can just take the existing vSphere, I'm way oversimplifying this, but we can take the existing vSphere infrastructure, VMs and everything, and deploy it into these different clouds. Obviously, there's there's some layering up of things to do to make these things work with each other and talk with each other, and it's not a kind of thing you can just flip a switch and do overnight, but it's far less work than to plan an entire migration from one platform to another. Okay, I, I, I wanna switch gears because I know we only have maybe nine more minutes left here till we're at the top of the hour, a very fast uh, podcast, fun to listen to. Um, when we're dealing with IT practitioners that need to implement this, and I know you work with BrianMadden.com the, or the, the, the blog, what's the mm -hmm. best way for people or IT practitioners to engage with you guys to kind of learn what the best practices are? Are you guys doing webinars? Are you trying to get in front of what's the educational model needed to kind of learn as quickly as I can what I should be doing to, to accomplish this? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different things that we're, we're working on or planning on doing. Um, I'll start by saying my email is gave at vmware.com and that was no small effort to get that. Um, Brian's is Brian at VMware.com. Uh, Jack, I think is still Jay Madden at VMware.com. I'm not sure if he got it converted to Jack or not, but you know, we're, we're trying to be accessible in those regards. Anybody can email us anytime. We're happy to be engaged because like you say, we're at BrianMadden.com, like the community, like that's our people, you know, that's, that's, that's who we want to be in touch with. Um, the Brian and I host a podcast called the definitely not official VMware EUC podcast, something like that. And we call it that because just about every time we have a retraction segment yeah. because we said something the week yep. before that turned out to not be true. <laughs> um, so we, yeah. we wish we had more time to do episodes for there. It's been a few months, but we, um, we've got plans. You know, we, like we talked about earlier here, Matt, we've got Ron, we've got uh, Jack. You know, it'd be cool to get those guys on there and talk about stuff. All right. So one, um, they can send you direct mail. Right. Yep. Send us direct mail. They, we got the definitely not official VMware EUC podcast that you can listen to. Um, we, I wish we maintained like a list of the public webinars we do, but I do VM lives all the time. Um, I do uh, events that are coordinated between VMware and Microsoft. Um, we're trying to be involved with community events. There's not that many of them these days, but um, but we were involved with IGEL Disrupt, both the in-person event back in January and the digital disrupt that they just had, I think, last week. Um, E2E VC is going to be in, I think, Greece in November. Uh, we will be involved to that with that to some extent. Um, if not Brian and I, from a travel perspective, if even if they if they even do a in-person event, somebody from VMware will be there, and if it's digital, we'll be involved. Um, Obviously, VMworld sessions. We've got a bit of a community track that we're building out there. Uh, we're 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 trying to be as involved with the community as we can be. 
Um, we've got the VMware EUC Champions program along with the VExpert program that uh, has been has been really cool to be a part of uh, from from an organizational standpoint because there's a lot of really cool stuff the community's doing in that way. And so we're trying to find ways to elevate that stuff as well uh, to show the world what's going on. So um, right. Twitter at Gabe Knuth, you can interact with us that way. There's, we're trying to be as accessible as we can be. And right. uh, we were hoping to be at way more events this year, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's I think that's what uh, what we all realized, even for the VMR code program that I run. It's like we had this laundry list of places we were going and now we have to shift to all digital and then we have to try to get uh, people onto VMR code power sessions just to give them places. Then it's all about where can I go to see a list of the stuff that I should be paying attention to, right? Because yeah. everybody's doing everything all over the place. But it's like, if I'm uh, running my data center and I want to learn an action plan, yeah, you can go to do HOLs. You can, you know, where do I, you know, get enough? Maybe I talk to my SEs, right? And say, hey, I want to accomplish this. I'm sure they're doing that. So mm -hmm. I guess there's the whole collection of community content. There's uh, bridemem.com that you guys are still, I assume, posting good blog, blog articles, you know. Actually, so bridemem.com is owned by TechTarget. Because um, oh, TechTarget bought bridemem.com back in 2008, and they recently shut it down. Um, they recently, for, now that website forwards over to searchvirtualdesktop.com. Um, so yeah, so we don't we don't have a public facing like concentrated Content. blog place right. for us anymore. Right. Um, I will say that the tech zone stuff you mentioned hands on labs. There's some the the mastering paths at tech zone are pretty cool in in terms of taking people through. So if there's if there's anybody listening to this that you know maybe isn't that familiar with Horizon but wants to explore it just to be able to speak a little bit authoritatively about it, those mastering Horizon. Uh, tracks on VMware Tech Zone are pretty cool because they show you they 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 take you all the way through from an introductory video, um, how to talk and how to think about the infrastructure, all the way through to the hands-on labs and VMware Test Drive. You know where you're actually kicking the tires in a live environment, and so those I think are more valuable than just a hands-on lab. And so if anybody wants to is is just looking to get their feet wet, I would I would definitely check those out. Okay. Okay. Matt, uh, okay, we have I, four more minutes. Hit we're getting closer question. to the top of the hour, and, and I, I want to ask you to, to take off your VMware hat for a minute. And this is an Ohio State Buckeyes hat. We're good. Oh, <laughs> as a Penn State fan, we might have words, but that's outside of the scope of this podcast. I grew up so, in Cleveland, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards the Ohio side. Sorry. Oh, H. <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> We <laughs> so, so back, hey, back thanks to for listening the, to the VMware uh, College Football Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Remember football? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this year. Who knows? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So back to the to the VMware employee. I'll ask you to take that hat off and step back into the role that you've done so well for so many years of of a consultant and an analyst. If you were looking from VMware as an outsider, um, how would you say, or where would what would be the points that you would identify that we're still falling short with EUC? Where can we be doing just a little bit better? Where is that next room for improvement? Where is the next push, the next giant innovation we're going to be? Obviously, we're a leader in the marketplace, but we can't sit still. Um, we have a tremendous team now that, that that's coming on board. Where is the next push? Where is the next optimization? Where is your critique, and and how can we be doing better? 
So this is an industry-wide thing, um, but I hope that VMware, I think VMware is um, well positioned to pull this off. Uh, but I think that we lack a unified end user computing management platform. We've got Horizon for virtual desktops. We've got Workspace ONE for uh, UEM, the new UEM. Um, and so, but there's not a whole lot of manageability. You, you can't manage a desktop virtualization environment with modern management. And I think that that's next. Now there's a lot of stuff that has to be unpacked and kind of reworked to do that. And so I'm not suggesting that this is a thing that's on our roadmap near term, or I, I, I don't even know where it fits, if it's on there at all. But I do. Think so this would be like for golden masters or, or things like that, where rather than MDT and SCCM, where you would be doing, you know, the next iteration of Intune or next iteration, obviously, of Workspace ONE to manage your masters. It's early enough that I, I'm not even sure how it would play out. But think of it. We don't think about gold images when we're thinking about modern management of Windows devices, right? When I, that Surface book or whatever, I, Surface tablet I have, I didn't put a master, you know, gold image on that thing. I just logged in <laughs> and it automatically provisioned everything out. And that approach does not work with desktop virtualization. It just, it just doesn't right now. Um, we can do it with persistent desktops, um, but try to do that with non-persistent desktops. We have to base everything off of a gold image and then, and then build out from there. And then when a user logs off, we throw it out and then we do it again. Like that's not a building out that surface tablet was not a trivial process. It was for me as the end user, but all the stuff that was going on in the background was still had, still had to happen. We can't do that every time a new user logs in. And so I think that um, where I'd like to see everything go and where I think it will eventually, I, I think that I'm looking forward to this one unified platform where we can manage all these different devices from one pane of glass in one swoop where I can say, I want to enforce password policies one time. And it pushes that out to my passcode policy on my phone, on my iPad, on my laptop, and in my virtual desktop, right? Um, we're building towards that. You can totally see it. We've got Workspace ONE Access that's that's working with all the different identity providers. It's the back end behind Workspace ONE Intelligent Hub that's um, giving me a single interface to my applications and user directories and things like that. We're, 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 we're building in this direction, but I think the hardest thing has yet to be done, and that's what I'm looking forward to, is, is getting that integrated with desktop virtualization because we're still managing that in the old way necessarily. Um, and I, I hope that there's some breakthroughs there sometime soon that can kind of move that into the modern era as well. All right. Well, Gabe Knuth, Senior Line Manager, Marketing Manager for Horizon Cloud. Gabe, thanks for coming on the show, being with us. That was a fantastic, very quick 50-minute uh, uh, yeah, really. podcast. But, uh, loved every minute of it. Uh, uh, I, had a real, I had a blast. So anytime. Right. Uh, happy to come on. All right. Well, what's your Twitter handle? One more time. How do they follow you? Uh, at Gabe Knuth right. and uh, Gabe at VMware.com. G-A-B-E-K-N-U-T-H. Uh, give Correct. him a follow. Say hello to him. Tell him you watched him on the podcast. Uh, we will be here again next week. And before we bail, uh, we will do a V Barbecue report. I know that I did some barbecue. And Tony Foster, I don't know if you're still on the line with us. Um, I did barbecue chili. I, I took tri-tip. I took tri-tip this uh, over 4th of July. We did a chili cook-off. We had five different 
versions of chili, all various uh, spicy versions. I did barbecue. I did it on the grill. I did uh, tri-tip, veggies, corn, peppers, uh, grilled it all up, and then put it in uh, put it in chili and you know beans and the standard stuff, and made some really nice barbecue chick uh, barbecued chili. So that's my barbecue report. Tony, you got anything to add here? Hi. So, didn't get any barbecuing done over the 4th of July, uh, oddly enough. Uh, was a little busy with fireworks. Um, but uh, tonight I'm doing chicken, doing some uh, grilled chicken and uh, some nice uh, vegetable strips. So, hopefully I have a, a good barbecue report for next week. All right. Well, there you go. The barbecue chili was a was a big hit. Uh, I won best booth decoration because I had a barbecue sign and and Texas cowboy hats and Mr. Stubbs Mr. Stubbs barbecue sauce sprinkled around and uh, and then I did corn on the cob uh, appetizers so that if you came to my booth you got a little piece of corn on the cob with uh, Mr. Stubbs barbecue sauce rubbed into it. So a lot of fun over the Fourth of July. Hope everybody had a good time. Uh, we will be back again in next week until then everybody have a great week and uh, stay safe talk to you next week matt thank you very much everyone take care thanks bye-bye dave great episode thanks yeah that was a blast Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.